Pete Moore on Halo Talks NYC. I have the pleasure of having founder and CEO of Sheets and Giggles, Colin <laughs> McIntosh here with me, and he's going to educate us on his product line, where the industry is going, and what it's like to be an entrepreneur out of Denver. And we will uh, find out everything he's doing and start buying products. So Colin, good to meet you. <laughs> Thanks, Pete. I appreciate it. And uh, for anybody listening, no need to buy a product if you don't if you don't want to. It's uh, <laughs> I appreciate it, though, Pete. You got it. You got it. Okay, so this is not an infomercial. This will keep the podcast. <laughs> there we go. There we go. So, so Colin, just so our listeners um, have some background here, you want to talk about some of your past experiences and uh, what led you to uh, to break off and become an entrepreneur, and where you see the industry heading. Yeah, what led me to be a, a bedsheets mogul is what I, I usually get asked. Um, I, I've got I've got a kind of a weird background. Actually, I went to Emory University in Atlanta. You know, uh, I did too, by the way. Oh, really? Yeah, back in '94, I graduated. Oh wow, no way! I'm I'm uh, just a few years behind you in 2012. Um, just but, a few. Uh, yeah, just That's a few. Very, yeah, yeah. Very kind of you, Colin. Yeah, absolutely. No, but I, so I got my. <laughs> I got my BBA there from Goizueta, um, and, uh, from business school there. And I ended up doing what a lot of uh, kids do for the first job out of Emory, which is I went to go work at a hedge fund and I worked at the world's largest hedge fund, a company called Bridgewater Associates in Connecticut. And I think I got fired in five months or six months. I can't remember if I lasted six months, but that was pretty difficult. Uh, though I ended up being one of the better things that happened to me. Uh, I ended up becoming a recruiter, ironically, for the recruiting firm that hired me there. Okay. Uh, ended up recruiting for some of the world's biggest banks, hedge funds, um, some startups. And that's where I got into startups and technology. Uh, and then I ended up hiring myself at one of my startups for an open business development role in Seattle. And then a couple of years after that, I got an opportunity at Techstars with a company that I founded with a few of my friends uh, that was a wearable technology company back in 2015. Uh, and then in 2017, uh, we all got laid off at 1 p.m. on a Monday because that's what happens. And <laughs> three weeks later, I ended up starting my own company, which was Sheets and Giggles. And so far, so good, two and a half years later. That's great. That's great. Um, so when you talk about, and we did some research here on how you started this. Um, so you, you used some crowdfunding uh, platform to kick this off or is that secondary to what you're already? Very, very much so. No. So my last company was venture capital uh, funded and, and uh, it was, I again, I wasn't the CEO. I wasn't the core founder. Um, I was head of biz dev and we had raised $6 million. We had 30 people working in downtown Denver. We were nationwide retail growth at all costs type of, uh, you know, company and you know it ends up being boomer bust with with all mm -hmm. those with, with most of those VC backed companies and you know unfortunately for us it was just bust and uh, that was really difficult and so uh, for my company specifically I knew I wanted to do a crowdfunding campaign because I a I was starting a company based off of a pun right so I knew that I needed to get some traction and some market validity otherwise no one was going to take me seriously and then I also knew that I wanted to be mostly revenue funded mostly beholden to consumers and to a community versus beholden to a group of investors. So yeah, so we ended up doing a, we started the company in October, 2017, uh, didn't start working on it until about January, 2018. 
And then the crowdfund was May 2018, and we raised $284,000 in crowdfunding. Um, and to this day, that's the proudest accomplishment of my life was convincing thousands of people to wait months for bed sheets. So that was, yeah. I was pretty excited about that. And then what, what led you to hone in on this product category? Were you watching the My Pillow guy late at night on the, uh, <laughs> on cable and said, I got, I don't have a mustache and I got better satin pajamas in this guy or where, where, yeah, where did you do this? I've never met the My Pillow guy. Uh, I'd love to ask him how he gets that mustache just so. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I've got a beard. He could probably give me some tips. But so basically, uh, I, you know, I, I think that the core reason was the business model was so compelling. And so I think that your, your uh, listeners might appreciate this. Basically, I see a lot of founders uh, do a very simple method of beginning a company. They say, I see a problem. I have an idea for a solution. And then I'm going to spend years of my life and hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars building this solution. And they don't do a very crucial step in the middle of that, which is test to see if the market is going to validate this solution to this problem. And a lot of times, they never even build a business model around this, around for the solution. They just build the solution and then hope the business model comes together in the future. And so what I did was sort of the opposite of that. I built a business model that I, th- that I was extremely passionate about and that I thought was profitable, scalable, and sustainable. And then I designed a product to back into that business model. And, and specifically, I said, I wrote on a piece of paper, I said, I want a massive commodities market that is highly fragmented, so no market leader that I have to chip away at, that is largely traditionally physical retail, so I can bring it online with a direct-to-consumer model, and that also has zero brand differentiation or zero brand loyalty, so I could zig where everybody else was zagging and uh, snag customers uh, without worrying about switching costs. And so... Mm -hmm. I also wanted a low complexity supply chain. So no Bluetooth, no firmware, no software, no tooling. And then it all kind of came together to where I started. And this is the honest God's truth. I looked at all the domains that I owned because I was very inspired. I have a mentor who is the co-founder of alarm.com. There's a big home security company, $3 billion market cap. And I asked uh, her one day why she started alarm.com. And she said, well, we looked at all the one word domains that we owned (laughs) And uh, and we owned Alarm.com and thought that might be a, a really interesting company to start. And so, I you know I love uh, that kind of thought process. And so I owned SheetTiggles.com. I, I there's a lot of power and a really good brand name. I looked at the betting market to see if it fit my criteria for my perfect business model, hmm. and it was almost just a smack dab perfect fit. Twelve billion dollar U.S. market growing 10% year over year, no brand differentiation, no loyalty, highly fragmented, mostly physical retail. And then the other thing that I thought was interesting was there was no product differentiation. Everybody sells cotton. Everybody sells polyester. Some people sell bamboo. But there's really no product differentiation. So I was able to do some materials research and sourcing. And I found out about a material called eucalyptus lyocell, which is what we make our sheets out of. And along with the, the base wood is eucalyptus trees. It's very similar to bamboo fabric, except more sustainable. And so it's softer than cotton. It's more breathable. It's cooling, moisture-wicking, hypoallergenic. And then on top of that, it's also incredibly sustainable. It uses about 96% less water to make than cotton and no insecticides or no pesticides. And so I was kind of off to the races after that when I realized I had all the pieces and I just had to put them together. 
Gotcha. So what were some of the first hires you made on your team once you got going? Um, so I, I actually, I didn't hire anybody full time for 15 months and I didn't pay myself for 15 months. So that, so I was working for free, uh, 18 hours a day, seven days a week, basically for 15 months. And then January or February, 2018. So one year ago, I gave myself my first paycheck. So that was really quite a, uh, 2019, 2019. So that was pretty momentous. Um, in terms of first hires, uh, part-time, uh, contractors, I hired a product development team. So folks that could build me, uh, the tech packs that I needed to bring my ideas to life. I hired a contract manufacturer, someone that I needed to give a fairly large and significant purchase order to in order for them to give me the time of day. And I also hired a marketing agency to specialize in crowdfunding. So that way mm-hmm. we could get the business off the ground chosen channel. And then I hired an intern who did all of our graphic design and social media. And I wrote all of our contents uh, you know, designed all of our packaging, did all of our supply chain management. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was a pretty, pretty lean operation at first. Mm -hmm. And where are you at now? Uh, now we're uh, about to hit 10 people full time and, uh, we're based in downtown Denver. Uh, though we do have full-time remote folks in Los Angeles and South Florida. Now we've got a, a, you know, a lean full-time team, and then we've got a, a really nice cabal of part-timers and contractors circling us, uh, you know, legal team, part-time fractional CFO accounting team, really awesome 3PL warehouse team. And, you know, we, we, we have a really great, uh, I think it's kind of like a circle, like a net of people circling us um, that allows us to, you know, keep growing with less than 10 full-timers. That's great. And are you doing anything different uh, on the marketing side? Are you, are you doing mostly online SEO referral? Have you moved into more traditional spaces where you're trying to get shelf space? You know, I just saw Casper um, in New York is trying to get some showcase room inside a traditional retailer. So what, what's been the trajectory and, and where do you feel you have to go? You know, obviously started out as somewhat of a virtual business and now kind of hidden strides. So how, how do you think about that? Yeah, it's a good question. I, the, the going from a to B is really difficult. And then I think going from B to C is very difficult. And I feel like we're at that point now and then going from C to, you know, let's say M where you're actually at scale is a, is a whole different set of challenges. So right now, you know, we're just to give you some, some numbers and some context, we're on about a $5 million a year run rate right now. And so I feel pretty good about that. Uh, five, awesome. six, so it's still pretty small. We're only in our 17th month of sales though. So pretty good about that um, upward trajectory. And then to go from, you know, to go from $1 million in our first 12 months to then, you know, hopefully five in our next 12, that type of scale is difficult. And then I've got my eye on how to go from five to 20 and so we're only in two channels right now, uh, just our .com and Amazon. So uh, our Amazon channel expansion has been really key for us. And uh, having a really fantastic product and really fantastic customer service has also been key for us. Um, we, you know, we've got 380 reviews on Amazon now, 4.6 stars, um, which I'm very, very proud of. Uh, 4.8 stars on our website uh, with about 2,000 reviews now. 
Um, and so really I think about product quality, customer service, repeat customers, word of mouth, um, and SEO as our core, uh, our core acquisition channels. And then obviously we're doing Facebook advertising, Instagram advertising, branded search on Google, but really the best keywords you're ever going to get the, you know, the best cost acquisition, the most profitable acquisition is always going to be on branded search and category search. And so right now our focus is really on building our brand name recognition, sheets and giggles, and then our category recognition of eucalyptus sheets, um, similar to the way that bamboo sheets was on a really big upshot a few years ago. We'd really like eucalyptus sheets to be the next bamboo um, with better staying power. And so that's kind of what we're focused on right now. And we naturally claim a lot of that conversion share when people are searching for eucalyptus sheets. That's great. So let's talk for a second about influencer marketing and pros and cons of that. Have you taken a look at doing any of that? We've got some friends of ours and some companies that we've put some money into and we feel like it's somewhat of a a black hole from a (laughs) metric standpoint. I just wanted to get your take on if we're crazy or if someone, something in the numbers just doesn't show up in the numbers that we don't know about. I, I think it's all about finding the next influencer platform because I think that Insta- if you're talking about Instagram specifically, it's it's more than a black box. I think it's a complete waste of money. Um, I, I, we've spent probably, I don't know, a 20 grand investment with influencers and have gotten almost you know less than one ROI. And it, it's just not something that I feel like investing more time or energy into. You know, I mean, the, the frustrating thing is, I think, you know, in 2015, 2016, I think, you know, paying influencers to hawk your product was an interesting acquisition channel because it was new, it was different. Uh, people hadn't seen it before. Now people know that any, you know, person with 30,000 followers will take 250 bucks to hawk any coffee, any tea, any bed sheet, any pillow. And it's just not very effective. And, and the captions aren't genuine. The, you know, the images can sometimes be good. I think that the user, like the, the UGC you get from it, um, the content can be interesting in terms of like photos that you wouldn't have taken yourself. But overall, I have a, a major dislike of influencer culture and uh, I haven't seen the return on it. And so maybe we're doing it improperly or maybe our customers aren't the ones that are buying from influencers. But I tend to see all the comments on our influencer posts are from other influencers trying to get followers <laughs> commenting about how gorgeous somebody looks or how comfy the sheets look or like whatever it is, but it's not, it's not real consumer interest. So I don't like that stuff. I I'm always looking to try to win in the margins and try to find the next channel, um, or the next kind of opportunity. And I haven't found one yet that I'd be comfortable sharing aloud, uh, with a ton of other folks that I would say I can recommend with confidence, but you know, there, there's always fun ways to figure out what your biggest wins are going to be and chase those. And influences are not it for me. Gotcha. All right. We could probably end the podcast now on that, but we'll keep going. Thank you for <laughs> I, do, I do like YouTube influencers. I get there's what one I mean? guy named Ryan George, who I absolutely adore that we've sponsored like three of his videos, positive ROI, good ROI. And it's because he's a funny guy. He's super on brand. And he's, you know, he basically does a a whole video sketch for us every time at the end of every one of his videos. He's Mm -hmm. hilarious. Look him up if you haven't seen him, Ryan George. And, uh, and we've gotten really good traction from that really good brand recognition. Uh, So I think we're going to try to scale some of our YouTube spend this year, but Mm -hmm. not in terms of like advertising on YouTube, 
but rather sponsoring creators that we just think are funny and then uh, we, that we think will be a good do a good job of representing the brand voice. That sounds great. So w- when you look at our sector and health clubs and fitness studios and uh, the personal training community, you know, wh- where do you see this product line fitting in as part of the narrative? Is it better sleep? Is it is there a workout recovery scientific angle to it? You know, yeah. have, have you thought about that? Um, yeah, very much so. I, uh, we actually we have um, some interesting messaging that we're that we're working with around like the performance aspect of the sheets. Uh, it's it's something that I think has always been an interesting marriage with the funny brand voice. Like we're we're already doing funny, premium, and sustainable in the print in the brand voice, which is a very difficult balance to strike. And so I want to make sure that we're always being very genuine and transparent with people in terms of what we feel the value prop is for our sheets. So uh, I think that what we're going to try to do is get a few athletes to use the product and give us their honest uh, appraisal of whether or not it improves their nightly sleep cycle. Um, If they're waking up less, if they're sweating less, if they're waking up in a pool of sweat less, if there's less abrasion, um, you know, if they're falling asleep faster, uh, all these things are, are going to be very important, I think, for your daily performance and how well rested you feel. Me personally, I'm totally knocked out every night uh, for eight hours at this point, which is great. But I don't want to be making claims that we don't really uh, have any evidence for in terms of like that athletic performance. Um, though I will say they literally have a lower surface friction than cotton. They're more breathable than cotton. They're more moisture wicking than cotton. Eucalyptus sheets are going to be incredibly uh, non-abrasive, great for sensitive skin. We have, you know, I think the angle actually that we're very excited about is we have tons of reviewers come to us and tell us, I have multiple sclerosis, I have eczema, I have contact dermatitis, um, ALS is another one that we've gotten some reviews on. Um, and And so basically, we're really excited and really interested in the fact that there are a lot of people with specific ailments that are using our sheets and are able to sleep through the night in a way that they've never been able to in the past because of how smooth they are and how breathable they are. And that has been really exciting to me and also really um, just not something I anticipated, I think. And so it's been very heartwarming as well. And so I'm really excited to advertise that more for people that are looking for solutions for how they can sleep through the night with, with this type of chronic pain illness. That sounds great. So I can take my weighted blanket and put some eucalyptus bedding underneath me, and I should be able to sleep. <laughs> we we actually, actually have a uh, we have a weighted blanket and a comforter that we're coming out with uh, imminently. So, all right, kickstart me on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. So, what are some of the uh, in closing here? You got any good quotes that you uh, that your team would say? You know, I, Colin says that all the time or, you know, some of the things as an entrepreneur, as you've gone through your, your first um, phase of, uh, of your career here. Yeah. The, the, yeah. First phase of my career. It's crazy to think that I'm coming up on a decade out of university. My one of the shout out to my, one of my best friends, uh, a guy named Will, uh, not best friends. I shouldn't say that. one of my, one of my good friends from college, he just sold his company. And so Emory's getting some cool entrepreneurs coming out of it. Have you heard of uh, Plaid by any chance to to Vista? Plaid? Yeah, yeah. I just got sold to Visa for like five billion. Oh yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So, it's like a square. Yeah. So well, so, yeah. So Will Will just he's a 2012 Emory grad as well. So he and I were good were buddies in college. Oh, he so. started that company. Yeah, yeah. So so I, I just thought it was cool, uh, just in terms of thinking about the first ten years of my career, 
the difference between his and mine, <laughs> but I'm still, you know, but at the same time, you know, I'm still very happy with how it's gone. It's been a pr- pretty crazy ride. Um, I think the, the thing with me that I think is, uh, has always stuck with me from my Bridgewater days is, uh, and my team hears me say this all the time is like goal task confusion and goal task orientation. And so I think a lot of people get very strung up on tasks instead of goals. And so, you know, we change course all the time. We'll go in one direction for a little while. And then I'll realize, you know, actually, uh, this isn't the most efficient way to do it. This isn't the most profitable way to do it. This isn't the most scalable way to do it. We're going to go ahead and pivot and move into into this different direction. And my team never, ever, ever has a peep about, you know, oh, what about all the work that we've done? All oh, what about all the different things we do? There's no sunk cost fallacy on the team. We just, we basically say, yes, this is a better way to achieve our, our goals. Our goals are a successful, rapidly growing business, period, end of story. There's a million ways to achieve that. So let's not get hung up on any one of them. And I think that a lot of times people and their teams, especially like people that are, you know, working at a company that's not theirs, they get really hung up on their tasks because it, it's what provides them the sense of value and like that they're moving the needle instead of the company goals. So that's one thing is just goal task confusion. Um, like and, uh, another thing is, is my team and everybody in Denver hears me say this ad nauseum, you've got to do a business model before you build a product. I know so many people that have just built like, you know, very expensive products, invested their life savings, hired attorneys for patents, gone through years and years of patent law. And that $50,000 they spent on that could have gotten them their first 5,000 customers. Um, if they had spent it appropriately. Uh, and, and so I think that that's, that, that type of, uh, order of operations is really important. Um, and the last thing I'll say is I, I firmly believe, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of talk and a lot of idolization of, of both hustle culture and on the flip side, like companies that let you work four days a week and like, you know, like 32 hour weeks and stuff like that. I think that like, not to get too prescriptive, but if you can work, if you're the type of person that can sleep for four hours a night for a long period of time, like for a year and work 18 hour days every day, seven days a week and just kill yourself, like you will get in more done in a year than your competitors will get, get done in two. And I think that that's, that's something that I really truly believe. And it's not for everyone. And it's not uh, something that I want to do again. Um, but that was the way I spent my first year in business to go from zero to one. Yeah, good. I don't think you need to have any uh, constraints on on what you want to do, especially when your profession also turns into your hobby, which we can tell from listening to you. It's uh, uh, somehow inter- intertwined into the eucalyptic thread of who you are. Yeah, so I a lot more. I I didn't realize that uh, going into my thirties, I would know this much about betting and cheats. But I'm a I'm, I'm a bit of a home textile freak at this point. That's great. Well, I think people um, have, you know, say that you need to have a a hobby. And I feel like in this age of being able to start up companies and the amount of innovation, and if that innovation is something that allows you to get your release and your creativity at the same time, then you don't have to say that you're doing something else because it's already a part of what you're doing as your day job which is nice versus, you know, I think the old days of if you work at a desk and you work in Excel, 
you know, you need to have a release because there's nothing creative about what you are doing. Whereas yeah. here you, you have that, that luxury in a good way. Absolutely. Yeah, no, we, uh, I, I love what I do. I, I mean, I got, I started this company to have, uh, freedom was my number one goal and, freedom. You, like you know, catching a tiger by the tail is, is fun. And now you got to figure out what to do with it. And, you know, I, I did not think that within two years of sitting down at my, at my desk and getting started on the company, we'd be doing, you know, almost, I think in, in the holidays, November, December, we were doing almost half a million dollars a month in business. And, uh, it's just, it's just hard to, hard to believe sometimes. So I feel really happy, feel really blessed, but, uh, it's also been a lot of hard work, but now I can work from home. I can be with my dog. I can go see my family. I got a little three-year-old nephew, uh, in Florida that I love to go see. And so that's, that's also really important to me. So I feel really happy right now and just trying to make sure I don't take it for granted. Awesome. All right. Well, we'll uh, continue to check in with you. I will uh, be a purchaser of the uh, weighted blanket with matching sheets and uh, let's uh, let's be in touch on helping you uh, get more of your product throughout our halo sector for people sleeping better and um, keep hustling. Good Sounds work. Sounds good. No, I appreciate it, Pete. Thanks for having me. And uh, if anybody in the audience ever needs anything, I'm pretty easy to find. I'm just calling at Sheets and Giggles or calling at SheetsGiggles.com. No and in the URL. And uh, you'll, you'll find me. We're pretty easy if you search for Sheets and Giggles. All right, I'll see you at the uh, at the tavern at Emory in Emory Village. <laughs> That'd be fun, man. I'd love that. All right, take care, man. Good work. Thanks, Pete. See you.